and happy Father's Day, dads. I think that video was for perfect fathers. I don't know. There's not many of us. Um, I didn't mean to put myself in there. There are, there, there are no perfect people, and uh, that's almost like the, that a perfect dad would do all of those things. And the way I looked at that is there's a lot of instructive things that if I am not doing them, I probably could do better in some of these areas. So happy Father's Day, fathers. Um, let me highlight a couple things just before we dismiss kids. Luke mentioned August 8th. It's really an important date for the Bridge family. Uh, Sunday morning, our worship time will be at the Florian Gardens. And we're going to celebrate. It's going to be Gratitude Sunday. So we hope you'll really make that a high priority to be there. Um, I'm really grateful uh, that Adam Condit and Grant Brown uh, stepped up and uh, brought the message uh, for us uh, the two Sundays that I was on vacation. Oh, I wanted to mention, too, one more thing. Just... We uh, set the goal for Grow Forward at 250000 We have 399000 in the bank right now, and we are not done. So uh, we have a lot uh, to be thankful for. Okay, Bridge Kids, thank you for joining us. You are dismissed. And the rest of us are going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. I hope you will find that in the scriptures today as we continue our series in the book of Philippians. Let's start with the picture of a bird. Uh, this is a bar-tailed godwit. I had never heard of this before. It's from the Sandpiper family. This bird grows up in Alaska and every year makes a migration to New Zealand. Now, if you're not good in geography, you don't care. That is a 7,000-mile trip. And it's over the Pacific Ocean. And this is a land bird. It does not fish, and it does not float. Okay? No stops over land. 7,000 miles, and it takes eight days. And think about that. Birds that do this the first time have never been to the southern hemisphere. They have never seen the southern stars before to navigate by. Uh, scientists just say they have some kind of homing device designed into their system. And that homing device has been designed by the God of the universe. And just like that bar-tailed God, did we get to see a picture of them flying? So just like um, this uh, bar-tailed Godwit, God has designed a homing device in humans as well. And especially for Christ followers, he calls us home. He calls us heavenward. He calls us to loosen our grip on this 
world and to reach up for something better. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, reminds us of this. And I want to read that passage as we begin uh, today. The Apostle Paul, this is Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. God's homing device. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, verse 15, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if some uh, point you may, you may think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the powers that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. In verse 12, we see, first of all, that we must know the main goal of life. Uh, and we're going to begin with an assessment. As to assess your goals. What is the main goal of your life? If, you know, if you're honest, and this would really be good to take some time to reflect this week. What are your goals for life? What is your main goal? Is it to be a good parent, to be a good dad, or to be a good mom? Those are, those are good. Those are important. To be a good husband or wife, um, to be a good friend, to be successful, to be happy, to improve yourself, to keep your bills paid and have your credit card paid off, to, to get an education, to get a better job, to be a good Christian, what? What are your goals? Paul begins with his own assessment in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this. And he's referring back to the previous section. Not that I have um, already attained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I, I press on to, to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul is saying, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. Um, I don't have it all together. I don't, I'm not all that God wants me to be yet. But Paul wants to press on. Uh, he wants to keep stepping forward in his walk with God. 
He wants what God wants for him. He wants to fulfill God's purpose for him, what God has designed into uh, his very nature, his core being. He knows God has not finished changing him. He, know, he knows he needs to continue on in his spiritual growth. He's well aware of his own shortcomings as he assesses, as he evaluates. He knows that he still struggles with personal sin. And so, first, we need to assess, evaluate. How are we doing in our walk with Christ? Paul assesses and he, and he wants to, to press on. Um, what Paul knows is that God has a plan for him. He knows uh, that God has done a good work in him and he will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul knows what God's goal is for his life. It's really good if we align our goals with God, what God intends to do with our lives. Romans 8, 29, um, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Romans. He says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Um, he's talking about Christ followers, and he's predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, that's what God's goal is is for Paul, and that's what God's goal is for every Christ follower, to be conformed to the image of God's Son, to become like Him in character, to be able to respond with attitudes and actions that are like Jesus. And Paul understands God wants to change us. He wants to develop our character he wants to help us become more and more like Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Galatians 4.19. He says, My dear children, for whom I again in the pains of am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul understands that his pastoral ministry to the Galatians is focused on having Christ developed, formed into the lives of the believers uh, in Galatia. This is God's goal for them, and it's God's goal for us. So what is the most important goal in your life? Is it to become more like Jesus? Why or why not? Secondly, don't let your life become spiritually stagnant, verses 13 through 16, because this is an everyday issue for us who follow Christ. It's a danger to become spiritually stagnant. Um, verse 13, evaluate your uh, current situation, because that's exactly what Paul does here. So take time to reflect. He says, brothers and sisters, verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. What's he doing? He's reflected. He has thought about his own life, where he is, and where he needs to be. He's taking a spiritual inventory. He knows his strengths, and he knows his weaknesses and failures. He knows God isn't finished, finished changing him. And he needs to continue 
with his own spiritual growth. He needs to press on. So he, he knows that he still struggles with personal sin. So he comes to verse 13 to lay aside the past. He's evaluating his current situation. Now he's going to lay aside his past. But something I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. What's in your past? What's behind you in life? Paul's not going to rely or be sidelined by his past. Now, if you look at Paul's credentials, and if you look at his life, and if you go back earlier in chapter 3, Paul has really achieved a lot by the time he's gotten to this point in his life. Before he came to faith, humanly, he had an amazing um, reputation, an amazing resume. After he came came to faith in Christ, He still has an amazing resume. He's experienced a great deal of human achievement. um, Before he met Christ, his credentials and his pedigree among uh, the Jewish faith was impeccable. He could have been listed in who's who of Israel. He was zealous for the law. He was an outstanding rule keeper. Uh, He pursued a self-made righteousness that comes from the law, super religious. But that has no value to Paul now. He will forget what lies behind. He's also failed God miserably. He's made wrong choices. He's had misplaced anger. He's made wrong assumptions about people. In fact, he, he stood by and watched Stephen be executed because he, saw, he thought Stephen was a heretic. He has misspoken words that he regrets. And Paul must forget what lies behind. Yes, he has failed God miserably at times. But now he must strain forward like a runner in the Greek games, strives ahead. He must press on. And there's a part where we too need to forget what lies behind. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not so easy to forget. Um, Sometimes it's hard because of our failures in the past. Sometimes we're really embarrassed about our own sin. And it's just easy to be sidelined by that. And when Paul says, forget what lies in the past, he doesn't mean you erase it from your memory. Paul has already given a list of his things that he has laid aside, that he's going to forget what lies behind. It's not that it's erased from his memory. It's that he's not going to let those things hold him back. He is going to leave them to history. He's accepted God's forgiveness and he is going to leave those to history. Um, In verses 14 through 16, like a runner in a race, Paul presses on. He says, 
verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul sees the end of the race and God is calling him heavenward. And that, that homing device is, is, uh, is draw, drawing him home. One day he will meet Jesus face to face. Well, I've thought about that. Do we all have that same homing device? And I think the answer is yes. But I think it depends a lot on how well we know Scripture and how well we know God and how close we are, whether we sense how God is calling us to something better. In verse 15, Paul writes, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Well, what view of things? We must not be satisfied with where we are, not satisfied with the status quo. Just because you are a good Christian, is that what God wants? No, he wants you to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I think of a good Christian. I, I've said this many times. I remember when I became a follower of Christ, there were a lot of things that I needed to learn so I could, people could tell I was a Christian. You know, you need to talk like a Christian. You need to learn some of the Christian words. You need to be able to pray in a group. You need to be able to find verses in your Bible and stuff like that. And so, you know, I wanted to get that stuff down so I could be, you know, a Christian. And after I got some of those things down, I, I began to realize, hey, there's a whole lot of people who have been Christians for years, and that's all that they do, and that's all that they know, and that's enough for them. And that just didn't seem like what, what God intended, that we sort of reach the, the, this level of Christianity where we're in the social group of Christians, and then we should be satisfied. No. Full devotion to Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul was a spiritual giant to us. And that wasn't enough. And, and wherever we are, there is a lot of room for us to continue to grow as we follow Christ. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we've already attained. What does Paul mean? We have not achieved our salvation. We have received our salvation. Uh, we are called to be Christ followers. And so Paul would say, let us live as Christ followers. Let us practice what we preach. Let us live out what we believe. Let our behavior be consistent with our values. Now, this idea is not new to the book of Philippians. Paul has brought it out several different ways throughout the book. Uh, we've seen this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And, and if you remember, Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Not about earning salvation, but it's about living consistently with the gospel. It's conduct that honors the gospel and does not dishonor the gospel because it is possible for a Christ follower to live in such a way that they dishonor the gospel. 
Um, one of the ways we talk about we should be good news in the way we live. But sometimes Christ's followers are bad news to our community, the way we live. Sometimes we're bad news to our very own families. And we don't reflect Christ. And this is really important, dads, for us. How much do our kids learn from us? You can tell them and tell them and tell them about Jesus, but how do you live at home? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conflict. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Guys, how do we live this out at home? Do we live in humility and value our family members above ourselves? The perfect father does on the, on the video that we watched. So that's how to do it. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you of the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. This is worthy conduct. How do you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? This is it. This is it. And then uh, the passage that we looked at in Mother's Day, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. This included that passage about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we come to verses 14 through 16. Think about this. Dads and moms do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure before your children because you are children of God and that would be without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Next slide. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and then I will be able to boast, Paul says. And that's how we have worthy conduct. That's how we shine in our world. That's how you're going to shine before your kids, Dad and moms. It's the way we live. It starts in our home. Um, this is how to shine in the workplace. It's, it's how to shine in the classroom. It's conduct worthy of the gospel. It's how we live out our faith. Thirdly, verses 17 through 21... It's our last section. Pursue full devotion to Christ. Pursue full devotion to Christ. You've probably heard that one before. Now, how do we do that? Well, verse 17, learn from someone more mature than you. Someone that's farther along in their walk than you. And oftentimes, we'll find that there are some people who they do these things really well, and they have some weaknesses here. And, of course, they're not perfect. Then we have somebody over here who doesn't do those things as well, but some of the other things they do better. And we can learn from lots of people who are a step ahead of us somewhere along the way. And we should look to people like that as models. We don't have to borrow everything from them like... You know, we mimic what they do, but we find what their strengths are. What can I learn? What can I apply? Um, here's what Paul says, uh, verse 17. 
join together in following my example. This is what he tells the Philippians, brothers and sisters, and just as you have, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he invites the Philippian believers to watch his life, to, to look to him as an example. He includes his team. He includes Timothy and Epaphroditus from chapter 2. We've met them already. Timothy was the one who didn't look out for his own personal interests, but he was focused on the interests of Christ. Paul says, look to Timothy as an example. Remember, Epaphroditus was a risk taker. He risked his very own life for Christ. And Paul says, that's the kind of example we need to look to. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, Paul is saying, I'm not perfect. But he's bold enough to say, when I follow Christ... You can learn from that. And that part is worth paying attention to. Now, I'm not perfect, Paul says. Don't do everything I do, but when I follow Christ, follow my example. Now, as a brand new Christian, when I read that, I thought, man, Paul is really prideful. And no, he's just being honest and truthful. And he realized he wasn't perfect. And you can read that in Paul's letters in the New Testament. You know, none of us are perfect, and we all need examples, but I hope every one of you have something that is an example to someone else. And that's, that's why we have the body of Christ. We need everyone to help each other and encourage one, one another to come alongside, to sometimes mentor, sometimes um, be a good listener. And when you find somebody that's just a little further along than you, ask them questions. Uh, find out what helps them to grow, what's helped them along the way to grow as a Christ follower. How do they spend time in God's Word? How have they learned about prayer? What can you learn from them? What, what's the value of Scripture memory? Why do people do that? Because I find Scripture memory really hard. Ask some people uh, to do that. How do they deal with temptation? How do they parent? There's a lot of things we can just learn from one another about how to, how to raise kids. And... How do you grow your marriage? We can learn from one another. In verses 18 and 19, Paul wants us to know to remember some people are actually obstacles for the gospel. Sadly, some Christians are obstacles to the gospel, and many non-Christians are obstacles to the gospel. Paul focuses here on non-Christians, verse 18. He says, For I have often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, it's really sad when there are Christ followers who live as enemies of the cross. 
Uh, but there are people who are actually antagonistic to the gospel. And I think we see this today in our culture. Uh, we see it when people try to silence. Uh, one, you know, the Christian perspective used to be a little more mainstream. Now it's not mainstream hardly at all. It's a little more of a side issue. And um, there are people who just would like to silence us because we're so simple and narrow. Um, Verse 19, Paul goes on to say, their destiny is destruction. He's talking about eternal destruction here. And this is a really uh, unusual word picture. He says, their God is their stomach. And so uh, Paul is going to make a very broad description of people. So it isn't like this one person has all of these characteristics. But this is an example. He says, their God is their stomach. Uh, It suggests that food becomes the most important thing. They've elevated it to an idol, and it's way more important than God is in their life. Now, this is a little scary when we bring it into Christian living, and we talk about comfort food, isn't it? How much do we rely on food for comfort versus relying on God for that comfort? I'm not saying you can't. God's given us food to enjoy, and I want to say thank you, God, and enjoy it. But there's a place for it. It's not up here. Um, And so he says, their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame and their mind is set on earthly things. And and the idea of uh, their God is their stomach, it it speaks to appetites, it speaks to human desires. And I think by application, it can go way beyond the food and the stomach. It goes to... um, desires like sexual immor- that lead to sexual immorality. I think one of the biggest things we face in our world today, and I'm afraid the church faces it as well, is the whole struggle with pornography. Is how important is this in someone's life? It, and it gets elevated to be like the most important thing. And that's really sad. And that has a huge impact on our walk with Christ. Whether it's secret or not, we do not shine as a Christ follower. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verses 20 and 21, we come to our very last section. Remember where you belong. And Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'll recall a little bit, the Philippians were very proud Roman citizens. They live in Macedonia. That is not Italy. It's a Greek city. And this is in the first century where Rome ruled the world. And Philippi had the privileges and benefits of being a Roman colony and a Roman city And the people born there were considered citizens of the Roman Empire. And they got rights and privileges. It was a very high benefit in the first century. And uh, so they were very proud of this. And Paul reminds his readers here that they have a more important citizenship. They belong to heaven. And that God was going to be sending soon a Savior from there, from heaven. 
Verse 21, who by the powers and enables him to bring everything under his control. Jesus will return. And when he returns, he's going to return with awesome power. And he's going to bring everything under his control. Every situation, every circumstance, and every person will come under his control, under his, under his power. And he will transform our lowly bodies, verse 21, so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow, that's amazing. Total transformation is coming. This is not all there is. This body is not all that's going to be. And I'll tell you what, as I get older, I become more and more appreciative. As I get more body parts replaced, I'm looking forward to a perfect body. And right now, God wants to transform our character because that's what he's working on. He wants to transform us to become more like Christ. He wants us to keep, keep, uh, to keep growing. He wants us to press on. And one day our transformation will be complete when Jesus returns. Our lowly bodies will be changed and be like the glorious resurrected body of Jesus. Now, as time gets closer to this, I'm just reminded of how lowly my body is. And this week I read a kind of a funny story that I'm going to share with you. You can decide if it's funny or not. George was 92 years old, and Jane was 89 years old, and they had decided to get married. When they went on a walk to discuss their wedding plans, they walked by a local drugstore, and so they went in and they asked to meet the owner. And George told the owner, we are about to get married, and we have a few questions that we'd like to ask you. First of all, do you sell heart medication? The owner said, yes, we do. How about support stockings for circulation? Absolutely, we do. Do you have medication for um, rheumatoid arthritis, for osteoporosis? Yes, we have all kinds of medications. Do you have waterproof furniture covers and depends? Well, we, we sure do. We sure do. Do you have denture supplies and reading glasses? Yes, we do. Do you have eye drops, sleeping pills, Geritol, and Ensure? We have all those things. Do you sell wheelchairs, walkers, and canes? We have all kinds and we have all sizes. By the way, why do you ask all these questions? And George smiles back proudly. He says, we'd like to use your store as a bridal registry. <laughs> and I found that pretty encouraging because you know what? One day our lowly bodies are going to all be changed and we're going to be transformed and we're going to have a body like Jesus's glorious body. Let's stand for prayer.
Father, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Remind us today that we don't want to stay. We ought not stay where we are in our spiritual journey right now. May we take an honest assessment. And, and would you give us the desire to press on, to press forward? to allow you to continue to do your, your good work in us, to allow you to continue to conform us to the image of your dear son, and for us to take action in our own lives, whether it's follow, uh, finding someone that's going to mentor us and encourage us and help us in our walks, or whether it's just uh, getting back into things that we already know like finding time to open your word finding time to spend time in prayer being consistent with being with other believers and worshiping you Father may you be pleased to continue to do your good work and we look forward to the day that Jesus will return for us in Jesus name I pray Amen.